Do you know how much imposter syndrome is costing your business? The thing with imposter syndrome is that we don't know from the outside who is experiencing imposter syndrome at any given time. On a recent study that I carried out, employees described their experience of imposter syndrome as feeling really anxious and feeling really stressed. Imposter syndrome is known to be linked with burnout because we tend to want to hide our imposter syndrome by overworking. Another symptom of imposter syndrome is that we're not sharing our ideas and so our voices don't get heard at work and the company that we work for becomes therefore less innovative. Imposter syndrome occurs at all levels within organisations And it's especially prevalent when we start a new role, when we start a new company, and it can become really debilitating when we are promoted to a position. If you'd like to know more about the work that I do with organisations when it comes to imposter syndrome, to identifying it, to managing it, to overcoming it, please check out my website, impostersyndrome.ie. That's imposter with an E, impostersyndrome.ie. You're listening to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for leaders who put people first. The podcast covers four broad themes, engagement and belonging, performance and productivity, leadership equity, and the future of work. Everything to do with the Happier at Work podcast relates to employee retention. You can find out more at happieratwork.ie. Hello and welcome to another solo episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm so delighted you decided to tune in today and I'm so excited for today's episode because it comes from a listener. So there's a listener question here that I'm going to address during the course of today's episode. Now, first of all, I want to read out the question. So the question is how to better influence upwards to senior leaders on the need to place higher priority on employee well-being when the opposing factors are excessive organizational demands. So this came in from a middle leader who is trying to find that balance between promoting his own team's workplace well-being while also communicating the need for a greater emphasis on well-being to more senior leaders in the organization when times are tough, when there's a, a high level of workload. So really, really love this question. If you have any thoughts on this, uh, you are absolutely welcome to share them through social media. I will be posting about this on LinkedIn and on Instagram. I do use some other social media from time to time as well, but you'll find all of my links on the website happieratwork.ie. And in terms of addressing this issue, so first of all, I'm going to have a look at what are the broad implications of well-being or not having well-being at work. Then I'm going to have a look at data. So kind of what is some of the data that's out there? to support promotion of well-being at work and then how to apply that or how to look for that in your own organisation. I'm going to talk briefly about the Happier at Work framework and how the Happier at Work framework could be applied in this situation. And then I'm going to leave you with some practical tips to take away then at the end of today's episode. First of all, to look at some of those broader implications then in relation to having a well-being strategy or or the importance of well-being at work. So first of all, it's good for recruitment and for retention of top talent. Now, I know a lot of organizations are focused on getting the best talent, having the top talent. When you're able to talk about the 
well-being that you can provide for employees, whether that's through a well-being program, whether it's a focus on well-being, whether it's an acknowledgement of the detrimental things around not having well-being or not supporting well-being, talking about work-life balance, work-life integration, those kind of things, what kind of supports you you provide for employees. So it's really important. And employees look out for these types of things as well when they're looking for jobs. So at the recruitment stage, it's really, really important. But it's also really important factor from a retention perspective. So if you want to hold on to those employees, it's important that your actions meet your words. So the recruitment phase hasn't just been talking about the areas of well-being, but you're not actually supporting that with anything when someone joins, you know, when someone actually joins the organisation. So you need to match the words that you use with the actions that you're actually delivering on what you said that you would deliver on. On the flip side, then having a think about, well, what are the implications of not having a well-being program or not supporting employees' well-being at work, this can lead to burnout. And what kind of cost is that having on the business? So if you're not supporting, if you're not supporting people's well-being at work, if there's so much work to be done, people are maybe they're highly engaged, but they're actually really stressed at the same time as well. They're not performing to their best. And how much is that actually costing the business? So not just of reaching the stage of burnout, but actually of not being that productive because you're working so much and you're, you're working in a really stressful environment. And then taking that to the other side, how much more can people actually get done when they are well? So if you're providing an, an environment where people can do their best work and that they feel like they're, they're supported and that they're looked after and that they're working to their strengths, they can get so much more done when they're in that kind of environment. So next, I wanted to talk a little bit more about some of the I'm not going to bore you completely with stats, but I do have some stats to share. But I want to talk more about the kind of factual stuff that's out there as well. Some of the interesting things that I found when I was doing research for this episode. So one of the things that really stood out to me was that there is a mismatch between where C-suite executives think employee well-being is versus how they're supporting it or what employees are actually saying when it comes to their own well-being. So on the one hand, C-suite executives think that they're doing a really great job of employee well-being, but employees are not saying that same thing. So there's a mismatch across a few of those different areas. Uh, so that's something worth considering is that maybe some of the senior leaders in this organization believe that they're doing a much better job than they actually are. And have you asked employees what they actually think themselves of, of their own well-being? and actually listening to what they have to say. Uh, another interesting statistic around this and the obstacles to well-being. So one of them, or the top one, I should say, uh, was a heavy workload and a, a workplace stress as well, came in at 30%, and then 27% was long work hours. One of the really clear things that came through from all of my research was that essentially work is the obstacle to well-being. So how can we find that better blend between life and work, generally speaking? Uh, I will touch on that in a little bit more detail when I go to talk about the Happier at Work framework. 
The other thing worth noting here is that it's not just about employees. Those senior leaders may have some issues around uh, their own well-being or not feeling like they're necessarily meeting their own well-being objectives for themselves. And this came through again from this article that I will reference. Uh, the, came, the research came from Deloitte. So, you know, I, I think it's it's fairly solid and it was over 2,000 people responded in this scenario. But 70% of C-suite seriously considering quitting for something that better supports their well-being. So, you know, it does impact on those senior leaders as well and something to bear in mind. And in this same question, it was 50 7% of employees are seriously considering quitting for something that better supports their well-being. So again, something to bear in mind at all levels in an organisation, it's really important to support people's well-being at work. It's all very well to have these statistics. And I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer and anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a long time will know this. Um, I'm a huge believer in the power of data. My own background is in data and research and using data essentially to tell a story. So it's, it's one thing to look at the the kind of what's going on out there. It's a totally different thing to think about what's happening within your organization. So if you can take these types of ideas and apply them to your own specific organization, ask those questions, find out what's going on. Do you have any specific quantitative data? That's the numbers. You know, how many people are leaving? What what are the reasons cited for leaving the organization? Or do you have some qualitative data uh, that could be from conversations that you've had? It could be anecdotal evidence of people resigning, for example. But also on the positive side of things, are there things to be said about a well-being program that you have initiated? Or is there something to say about a way of working and the impact that that has had on a specific team? And being able to measure that, being able to gather feedback from the team and being able to refine whatever you're doing over time through that listening process by using data, by using evidence. So uh, absolutely huge believer in the power of data and, and using that data to tell a story, to get buy-in from senior leaders. Moving on now to the Happier at Work framework. Now, the Happier at Work framework essentially has three elements to it. And those three elements are culture, balance and empowerment. Anyone who's been listening to me for a while, I've slightly renamed them to to better explain exactly what it is that's included. So culture focuses on values and the culture of the organization. So in this instance, does the culture support well-being? Does the culture match with what you're putting out there into the market? So is what you're saying your culture is the actual reality of what people experience on a day-to-day -day basis? And if it's not, how can you fix that? Are leaders transparent about their own struggles? Is there an air of authenticity? So can people feel like they can bring their full selves to work? Is there a little bit of vulnerability in the sharing about the struggles that people have when there is too much workload, for example? balance then. And that looks at our needs at work and how our needs can be satisfied at work. But this is also balanced with how to get the job done or a focus on productivity. 
It's worth bringing up here that one of the episodes from a few weeks ago with Leslie Cooper, where we explored this idea of good stress versus bad stress. So not all stress is bad, but how to activate that good stress and work from a place of power rather than feeling stressed all the time. So how can you use that stress to your advantage to to actually get more work done? Some of the needs I'm going to talk about in relation to this specific scenario uh, that really kind of stand out. One is the need for autonomy. So do people have a sense of choice and control over what they do and how they do it? Or is the work just being piled on from above? So that's something to consider. Do they have a greater sense of choice and control and, and a sense of freedom over what they do and how they do it? And then another one that that kind of stands out to me is this idea of recognition recognition. Are they being recognised for additional work that they're, that they're doing? Are they receiving positive and specific feedback about the contribution that they are making to the organisation in order to make them feel more motivated, more committed and like they're having that contribution and the impact that they would like to have at work? The third element of the framework then is empowerment. And that's really understanding what your strengths are and being able to work from a place of understanding your strengths and being able to utilize and activate your strengths in the workplace. So I would argue that, first of all, you actually need to know what your strengths are. Are those conversations happening at work? Do you know each other's strengths? So I know if I think back to my own days of corporate so there was never any chat about what different people are good at in an open forum. We had a vague idea of who's good at what, but can you pair people up who have complementary strengths so that people are spending a lot of their time working in their area of strength or their zone of genius rather than trying to mitigate their weaknesses somehow? It's also about empowering leaders and managers to have these conversations so that they feel like they are in a position to empower other people to take action and to use their strengths as well. And some practical things to leave you with then before I wrap up today's episode. Uh, Do get involved in the conversation on social media. I would absolutely love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Is there something that particularly resonated with you? Is there something that you might do differently? Did you have an aha moment during today's episode? I would absolutely love to hear about that. So my first question is, or my first practical idea is, do you have enough people to do the job that needs to be done? And I know this isn't, you know, sometimes this is something that's out of your hands, but I have worked previously in an organisation where there was deliberately not enough people to do the work. And this was from a profitability perspective. They wanted to maintain a high level of profitability. So they deliberately kept a gap in the team for months on end. It brought the morale of the team way low. It meant that we were stressed. We had so much work to do because essentially we were taking on the additional work that should have been done by an extra person in the team. Uh, And so that was quite stressful. So I do understand in in these times that we find ourselves in, it's not always uh, it's not always your fault. But if you are in a a position where you can control the amount of work that's coming in from clients, for example, do make sure that you have enough people to actually carry out that work. 
The other area to look at or to consider is uh, boundaries. So boundaries between work and home. The lines are so blurred at the moment with people working from home at the moment. I'm recording this in my bedroom today. So the, the boundaries between work and home life have become really, really blurred. So make sure you have clear boundaries. Make sure, first of all, that you know what those boundaries are, what they should be for you specifically. And uh, so that's about identifying what those boundaries are. Then communicate them. So let people know and then commit to it. So you don't set a boundary, communicate it with someone and then just say, well, just this once then I'll just I'll answer this email just once. The kind of boundary that always springs to my mind in particular is answering emails out of hours. So if you receive an email at 8 p.m. and that's way beyond your your office work time and the expectation is that you should reply to that, you can set a clear boundary right then and there and say that you only respond or it doesn't have to be right then and there because then you're replying (laughs) to that email. So you can set a boundary the next day and say, "Um, thanks, I just picked up your email. I only check my emails between this time and this time and stick to it. So communicate that clearly that that's what you're going to do but then stick to it and don't check your emails out of time you know out of hours over the weekend and I was listening to a podcast just this morning actually and they were talking about how they always check their emails when they shouldn't you know over the weekend and things like that it's a really bad habit to get into and I for that exact reason I don't have my work emails on my phone number three then is around setting really clear priorities and expectations of the team so what are the priorities? Are those priorities shifting and changing? Then please communicate that. Let people know this is the new priority. You don't need to focus on this other thing anymore. Frustrating as that is for the recipient, at least you've communicated to let them know they haven't worked on something that's no longer a priority and then come back and you know, you've then said, well, that's not the priority anymore. So keep people up to date on what the priorities are. Set really clear expectations around the quality that you're looking for. So what does good enough look like and how long should this take them to complete? So having those really clear expectations up front is so important so that someone's not spending all of their time trying to perfect something that really they should be spending much less time on. Number four then is around feedback and recognition. So how often are you providing feedback to your team, especially the positive feedback, because that is the feedback that we think people know they're doing a good job when actually they have no idea unless we tell them what difference they make. If it wasn't for them, how things might be different or what unique capabilities they bring to the role. So don't forget to provide that positive feedback and recognition. So recognizing people in a way that they like to be recognized, not in a way that you like to be recognized. And then the final thought, note number five, is about addressing people's needs at work. So understanding, first of all, what those needs are and then having an attitude of gratitude. So feeling grateful for everything that that person brings to the team and recognizing them for those unique strengths that they bring as well. And similar to this, similar to feedback and recognition, the gratitude piece needs to be accompanied by something very specific. So what are you specifically grateful for in this situation? That is it for today's episode. Do join in the conversation on social media and you will find all of the links on happieratwork.ie. 
that was another episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I am so glad you tuned in today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I would love to get your thoughts. Head on over to social media to get involved in the conversation. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love if you could rate, review it or share it with a friend. If you want to know more about what I do or how I could help your business, head on over to happieratwork.ie. 